you are going to know when your husband is repenting. You're going to see fruit. When he stopped justifying his sin or trying to blame shift, a wife begins to start gaining trust and respect for him again. And what woman wouldn't just naturally start respecting a man who he's doing damage to his flesh? He's in a battle to crucify the sin and the lust. And he's going after God like she's never seen him go after him before. How do you not respect that? When a wildfire burns a forest to the ground, it seems as if all life and beauty has been forever destroyed. But this is not the end of the story. In time, a lush new forest will replace the devastation. When the fire of lust is let loose in a marriage, all that is beautiful also seems to turn to ash and death. But this too is not the end of the story. When a husband truly repents and turns to God, and when a wife learns to forgive and trust, the seeds of a wonderful marriage are there, and it's only a matter of time until all that was destroyed is swallowed up in newness of life. Thanks for joining us again on Purity for Life. I thought that comparing lust to a raging wildfire is a really fitting and vivid analogy because lust has the power to destroy everything that's good in its path. And many marriages have reached a point where everything beautiful and life-giving seems to be utterly gone. But even when a forest has been ravaged by the flames, with the right environment and with enough time, That forest is going to become so lush and green again that every trace of the devastation has been swallowed up in life. When a husband repents of his sexual sin and when a wife is learning to forgive and trust, spiritual life is beginning to take root and with enough time, all things can be redeemed. This process, though, can be discouraging and confusing. So Kathy Gallagher, our co-founder, and Carol Bork, our director of women's counseling, they joined me to give advice and encouragement to women whose husbands are in the early stages of repentance. So the inspiration for this episode and possibly another episode was to tackle some questions that we received at our annual conference this last year. Most of the questions that we received were covered at the Ladies' Roundtable as one of our breakout sessions, but we did receive some additional questions that we weren't able to cover, so we figured we would tackle some of those issues here on the podcast. Uh, The first question that I wanted you guys to weigh in on was, how does a wife regain lost respect for her spouse after his sexual sin? Well... I would say the first step in that direction is what is the husband doing? Because you can't really gain respect if your husband is still messing up. 
basically. But if he is headed in the direction of true repentance and there's life change and she's seeing that change, I don't think there's much that she would have to do on her own right. to gain to regain that respect. She's going to see that. That at least that's been my experience, that's my testimony and that's been my experience with other women. Um okay, when I went back to Steve, there was zero respect. Zero. Mhm. I had nothing going on for him. But in obedience, I stayed. Mm -hmm. And over the months, what I began to see in his life is what did it for me. I saw him spending time with the Lord. I saw him repenting. I saw what he was doing in his life with the Lord. And that's what helped me Mm -hmm. tremendously. I would have never been able to, (laughs) I don't know, I, I can't predict the future, it would have been very difficult for me to imagine a future with Steve if he had continued in that same vein that he was in. So it was what he was doing mm-hmm. that caused me, for my respect for him, to just go through the ceiling at, at a certain point. For a wife, and I think this is across the board, if she's not seeing fruit, spiritual fruit coming out of him, I don't know that it's possible. You can do the outward form of mm-hmm. respect. Mm-hmm. In other words, respect the position, which we should do. Yeah. It's the same thing with you know obeying the laws of the land. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily agree with them, but we're obedient up to a point where unless they are asking us to sin against God, then we don't. Same thing. You're respecting the position of the authorities, the sure. law. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like that in a marriage relationship when it's broken from sin. Yeah. Well, let me ask it in a different way then because – I think from all of our experience, typically, even when a man really deeply repents, Mm -hmm. that's not the end of the battle. Mm -hmm. He's not perfect from that moment on. So there's going to be falls, failures, setbacks, and so on. So how does a wife continue? What should she be looking at? Instead of looking at the failures, Mm -hmm. which are definitely going to breed this kind of fear and disrespect, what should she look at? so that her respect grows in a good way? Well, I think that if she is seeing him walking with the Lord, mm-hmm. I, you know, again, I, I hate to pigeonhole people because what I experienced isn't what everybody else experiences. A, a woman whose husband is repenting, she still has baggage. Mm-hmm. She's got baggage that needs to be dealt with. So it's maybe harder for her it's going to take her more time and i think that the husband has to they have to flow together in this mutual mercy and yeah. that's really what it boils down to he needs to see the damage that he has done to her and that you know at a certain level it's very very natural for her to question yeah, yeah. um and and yet on the other hand she needs to be looking at what's really happening in her life and in his life. If there has been true brokenness and repentance, to me, I don't know how to say it, but it's unmistakable. A truly repentant husband, you can't miss it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean he won't make mistakes or fail at times, but that's not the trajectory of his life anymore. That's not who he is. But you both have to be patient with each other and patient with this process because it is not over once he repents. I'm sorry to say that. I know that causes a lot of fear in the hearts of women, 
because they want it to be done. Yeah, yeah. But the reality is we live in a godless culture surrounded by sensuality and perversion. And unless you just stick him in a room somewhere and he's never exposed, he's going to struggle. And you have to be aware of that. You have to face that. And I think the thing that did it for me, I don't know, I don't know why and I don't know how. But when I saw what Steve was putting himself through to walk with the Lord, it just changed me completely. And I was totally on board with him. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to encourage these wives to think that way, to get in the place with your husband where you're on his side and you're not judging and condemning and waiting for the next shoe to drop because that comes out too. You know, like mm-hmm. when our husbands are filled with lust, you you may not see what he's doing, but you can but you can see it. It's kind of an unseen thing. That's true with us as wives. Um, mm. Our unseen world, does it is seen. People can see it. Your husband can sense it. So, Carol, do you want to <laughs> jump in? Yeah, I was just, I mean, everything you said is true. And I think it kind of boils down to, you know, what is his track record mm-hmm. after, you know, that repentance takes place? And I tell ladies all the time, you know your husband better than anybody. So you are going to know when your husband is repenting, you're going to see change. You're going to see fruit. You know, when he stopped justifying his sin or his failures or trying to blame shift, um, a wife begins to start gaining trust and respect for him again. And what woman wouldn't, you know, just naturally start respecting a man who, like Kathy said, He's doing damage to his flesh. He's Mm -hmm. in a a battle, you know, to crucify the the flesh and the sin and the lust. And he's going after God like she's never seen him go Mm -hmm. after him before. How do you not respect that? Yeah, it's it's, uh, having that perspective is so helpful when the gauge is not the performance of one little area of Mm -hmm. a guy's life, but is... This overall picture, which can be harder for some people than others, Mm -hmm. depending on your personality. Maybe you see the details far more than you see the big picture Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. how much fear is in your life. That's right. But having – trying to get that perspective of of the whole thing where now you see a new man emerging, that you see the bud – of fruit, right. mm-hmm. you know, where mm-hmm. his values are changing, his his responses to you are changing, mm-hmm. his um, his goals, his mm-hmm. ambitions are changing. You see the the beginning of a new man, even though you don't see the the fruition of your hopes and your dreams. It should cause wives to really be more hopeful than ever. Yeah, and instead of um, okay, so let's say there is a lapse, something happens. Nothing really overly major, but something happens. That doesn't mean you go back to square one. I'm mm-hmm. saying this to the wife now. You mm-hmm. don't go back to square one. You don't go, okay, start over. We're at, we're at ground zero again. No, you're not. Right. And I would say this to a man that has been trying and trying, but he failed. He wants to kill himself as much as you do. But that is not, we've said this so many times at Pure Life Ministries, failure is not final. It's Mm -hmm. not the end of the story. Mm -hmm. It's part of the process. And I had to learn that, just like every other wife has to learn that, that when Steve failed, it wasn't the end. It wasn't us having to restart the whole program over again 
And yeah, it wasn't a restart. It was part of the process he had to go through. And I, as his wife, I was learning so much about my own messed up thinking Mm -hmm. and my whole messed up perspective of God and life and what I expected as a Christian wife. Yeah, God had to rearrange everything inside of me. And that's what he's doing for any wife that is receptive to the Holy Spirit's work in her life through the suffering. And I will say this. I was just talking to my husband about this on the way in this morning. I've said it a million times. It's on my YouTube videos. It's in my book. It was that sin, my husband's sin, that revealed my sin. And I couldn't be more grateful to Mm -hmm. the Lord to this day for what he did in me Mm -hmm. by exposing him because he exposed me at the same time. And I saw things I would have never seen that had to be dealt with. Those things in me had to mm-hmm. had to be rooted out. So it's not the end of the world. Right. In a certain way, it's kind of a beginning. So mm-hmm. it just depends on how you want to look at things. Yeah. As you were talking, Kathy, I was thinking, man, it really, in some ways, it's all about perspective. Because if you want, any one of us can obsess about the problems in some person's life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can just Pick them to pieces. I could spend my whole life being critical about some person. And if I want to find it, I can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, how much, like, how do you help a woman, Carol, to stop obsessing about that man's faults or failures? Well, she first has to look at her own. She has to see that she's also full of faults and full of failures. And it's like Kathy said, you know, this was a divine appointment for for mm. the woman. It was my divine appointment because God had to, you know, use whatever in his sovereignty he needed to help me to see what was in my own heart. And I'm sure he could have done it another way, but in my own pride and my self-righteousness, he used the thing that I think he knew would devastate me mm. um, the most. And that was the unfaithfulness of my spouse to help me to see the ugly and what was in my heart, which was, you know, just being unmerciful and being, you know, unforgiving and critical and just looking. Once his sin was exposed, all I could see was him. And like you said, his faults, they were just glaring. Um, And so God had to really, again, bring me to the place where I was on my face before him, you know, crying out because all I could see was, was my husband's sin. And he wanted me to see this is his mercy to expose my heart, Mm -hmm. my life so that he could bring me into the place of healing and forgiveness and grace. Um, And so again, I don't think anything else would have done that for me. Mm -hmm. And so You know, I remember 16 years ago talking to my counselor and saying, I will never be thankful for this. Hmm. And I can tell you today, in all sincerity, I am eternally grateful for my husband's, I don't want to say sexual sin, that's not the right way to say it, but I'm so grateful that the Lord used my husband's sexual sin to get it in my heart and to bring about change. You know, it's so often, it is the suffering that we have to go through that we 
we resent suffering, <laughs> especially a wife married to a guy in this stuff. Um, we deeply resent having to have to go through this. And, you know, the question rises up in our hearts. Why? Yeah. Why, God? Why did you, you knew what he was in? And I've asked that question a million times myself. And the answer is getting clearer and clearer. The further down the line I get, the answer is Jesus is after you. Mm-hmm. And he knows how to get to you. Yeah. And yes, we do. And our perspective is God owes me a happy life. He owes me a good marriage. And I, you know, there are layers that we could get down into in a conversation like this, but all I would like to say is just be grateful because God is at work. He's doing something in you, the wife and eternal work. Yes. Okay. You are probably saved. I'm not talking about salvation, but there's so much more. Yeah that he's after. Yeah. And he's using this. This is the scalpel to carve out the cancer. Yeah, because some some women will say to me, you know, I have been a, you know, a faithful wife. I have served God. I've served God with my family and, you know, I am walking with the Lord. You know, why? Why mm-hmm. this? Well, there's something more mm-hmm. that God wants. He's after something in you and it's yeah, full surrender, full you know, possession of you, that full consecration. And so, um, yeah, and he uses, yeah, we don't know his mind. None of us can know the mind of God. What we have to do is, well, we have two choices. We can either embrace that and receive it as, again, this is the hand of God coming to me. And I receive Mm -hmm. this, Lord, teach me, show me what you want to show me in all this. Mm -hmm. Or we can resist him Mm -hmm. and we can push away. And there are a lot of women who come into this program who are resisting him. But for the ones who are embracing what God is trying to do in their lives, man, I mean, what it's just amazing what these women, after they've you know been through the program or just the, the testimonies that they share afterwards, they really, mm-hmm. they had no idea. Yes. Okay, this was for me. And that, you know, I remember Steve Gallagher saying that to me years ago. He said, Carol, this was for you. And, and it's just true. It was for mm-hmm. me. And I'm so grateful. Yeah, it reminds me of the book of Job, because if anybody didn't quote-unquote deserve what he got, it would have been Job. And without God really revealing the end of the story, I think all of us probably would have said, man, this guy doesn't deserve this. Mm. You should preach that message that we heard yesterday. I wish you could get into that because it was such a blessing. Oh, (laughs) well, it was a a little long. No, it was, I know, but. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I found it fascinating that God never answers Job's question. Mm. You know, why? Why me? This is like, explain this to me, Job says, basically. And God never answers the question. Yeah. But Job did. Yes, he did. Job answered it, and he admitted, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know who I am, but I know who you are. And that was, (laughs) it was love. The suffering that came to Job and the suffering that comes to these wives, as hard as this is to grasp, is love. Yeah. It's a God of love coming after you. And the thing that, you know, you both said, God didn't answer Job, but he doesn't owe us the answer. Yeah. We may never know the answer this side of heaven. Maybe maybe he'll let us know once we get, you know, to heaven, but 
we may never know the answer this side. Well, there's a true humbling that comes through suffering that puts us in a position to understand God better, whether or not he ever explains himself. If you, mm-hmm. if you bend, if you will bend yourself to the pain and embrace the God who does love you, yeah. it, you don't necessarily need all the answers. You can just, you can just roll with it and go through what you have to go through mm-hmm. with a grateful heart. Right. Well, and he gave Job something better than an answer. That's right. <laughs> he did. He gave him himself, if you could say it that way, for Old Testament times. That's what Job got such a sight of the Lord that completely transformed him. When he said, um, I knew, I heard you before. I heard you. I could hear you. Um, maybe through writings, Old Testament writings. But now, having gone through this, I can see you. Mm-hmm. And he saw the heart of God, and he saw the love mm-hmm. of God in everything that he had gone through. I believe, you know, that's conjecture, I, th- I think, on my part. But I think that's the outcome of it for him. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't either. <laughs> But I have a feeling, having gone through so many trials and tribulations, that is the, that was the outcome for me anyway. I'll just say it that way. All the sufferings. And there are many other saints down through the ages who would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. It was suffering that brought me to the foot of the cross. Yes, I was a Christian, but it was the suffering that revealed the heart of God to yeah. me. It makes no sense at all to the natural mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really, now that we're talking about this, it segues into something else that we wanted to talk about, which is fear, because I think really at the bottom probably of all of this is the fear that this situation will end in utter ruin Mm -hmm. and that there's nothing good that could come from this. And I have to, you know, God has to fix this issue because it could never really, yeah, there's there's no situation in which things could stay the same and things would end up being good. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the fear. Well, I was going to say, Carol, you, you can talk about this because this was, I mean, that's generated so much of your anxiety and all your anger and your frustration was, uh, it was all fear-based. Yeah, fear that this was going to happen again or fear that, yeah, he was going to go back to his sin, fear that he wasn't going to change. It, the fear is all wrapped up in self, you know? And so when you are just consumed with that fear, um, again, I'm quoting Steve Gallagher, God becomes very small and you become absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. And so all I could think about was what was going to happen to me. And I feared yeah, and, and so that fear then breeds um, you're suspicious, constantly suspicious. And then trusting just becomes harder. And you're looking, again, like we said, you're looking at all the failures and the faults and you're trying to find things in them that, you know, okay, yeah, you're still like this, you're still doing this. And so forgetting, though, that change takes time. It takes time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so as again, but we're talking about the woman who's watching her husband doing the right thing on a regular basis. And he's, he's got a track record of, yes, he's going after the Lord with everything in him. I guess I would say it's much 
I don't want to say easier. That's not the right word. Um, but it's more helpful for a wife not to be paralyzed with that fear when she sees that her husband is doing right. Yeah, there's there has to be something bigger in your life, in your interior world, than what your eyes are seeing. Because if you keep looking mm-hmm. at the thing that is causing so much fear, it's going to beget more fear. Someone has to come into your sight. Mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, someone has to come into your sight that trumps everything that your natural eyes are seeing. And I'm telling you, I mean, that may sound like spooky, mysterious, spiritual stuff, but that is the fact of the matter. This is what faith is about. You're seeing the Lord Mm -hmm. and not fixating on what your husband's doing. You know, when I was going through my stuff with Steve, and I don't even know what to say about this because I can't transpose my experience onto other people. I All I can do is testify what Jesus did for me. I got to the place inside where I can't do this. Mm. I cannot do this. Right. I can't handle mm. this life of just constant turmoil, constant anxiety, constantly checking his pockets and looking in the glove box and just mm. just mm. chasing down this beast in my life, this demon, if you will. I got to the place where I couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, it was an internal, mental and emotional, I just let go. I just released it. But I released it Mm. As young as I was and inexperienced as I was and untrained biblically as I was, I let the Lord have it. And I lived in, I was at peace. Mm. And Steve continued in his sin. He did not stop sinning because I had a breakthrough spiritually. Mm. He kept going down that path he was going down. But I was on a different path. I didn't choose the path of divorce. I didn't choose the path of hating him and all that. I kept trying to be the wife, and I'm not saying I didn't have struggles because I did have struggles, but the predominant thing that held me and kept me was I was watching and looking for Jesus to give me the grace to do this because I knew I couldn't handle it. I couldn't. What wife can? Mm -hmm. It's not possible. That's why it's so important for you to just turn to the Lord inside, turn to him. I mean, they're just such a broken spirit, a humble spirit. We rise up in so much anger and pride and an entitlement mentality almost with God that he owes us to fix this mess. Or we, we get so resentful towards our husbands. Ladies, this is not the path of a born-again, spirit-filled believer. That is not the path that we tread. God has more for you, mm-hmm, but you mm-hmm. have to want that more and you have to fight for that more. And it doesn't mean you got to get your husband fixed first. Mm. In the midst of your storm, you have to follow, you have to believe, yeah, you have right. to have faith and trust. Yeah. I mean, God is just, he is so near to the broken and um, it's really just getting mm-hmm. A greater love, mm. but it's not a greater love for your husbands. Mm. <laughs> it's a greater love for Jesus and to get your eyes fixed on Jesus and to take them off of your husband because 
you cannot change him. You can't fix him. You, you can't control him. You, your fear can't keep him and, you know, restrained. It's got to be you crying out to God on his behalf and becoming just an intercessor mm-hmm. for him yeah. because only Jesus is going to change him. He's the only one who can. And that is the best thing that you can do as a wife, not try and control him, not try and babysit him, not try and mother him, not try and smother him, but to get on your face every day before God and plead on his behalf that God will come to him and draw him to himself and that God will give him that greater love for Jesus as well. And in in the midst of all of this that Carol is describing, this intercession and this agonizing for him, something is happening to you. Yeah that desperately needs to happen. Yes. <laughs> um, we're, yeah, you know, <laughs> volumes could be written and probably have been written about what it means to truly walk with Jesus. But um, in that process of interceding and pleading for and just the ups and downs of it, you some days it's like you feel like the heavens are about to break wide open. Some days you feel like you're about to fall into the pit of hell. I mean, it's really that that back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a place of rest that I don't know how to tell you how to get there other than you've got to get your eyes on the something better, the someone better, the better love, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this, what you're going through, will cause you to do things, maybe not outwardly, but inwardly, mm-hmm. is causing you to go in a direction. And I want to just <laughs> say, we are coming into a time where you better have something more because you will not be able to endure what's coming if this thing, which I believe God is using to do something powerful in your life, and if you don't let him do that powerful thing through your suffering, what is coming, you're not going to be able to stand. And I don't mean to sound ominous or anything, but look at the days we are living in. Mm And just the culture and the atmosphere, the demonic atmosphere that we're living in, we've got to learn to love. Yeah. We've got to learn to do mercy. We've got to learn to bear with people and intercede for others. That is how you do it. it you don't do it by overcoming evil in your own strength or with your divorce papers or any other thing. I'm just, (laughs) all I'm trying to say is there's something more that you haven't gotten yet, and Jesus wants you to have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I hear is that in our uh, shallow-mindedness and our immaturity, we typically think of the favor of God and the blessings of God as being either material Mm -hmm. or emotional, like things that feel good or mm-hmm. things that seem good. So if my kids are doing well and if my husband is faithful to me and if I've got a safe home and a happy life, then that is the blessing of mm-hmm. God. But you guys are describing something far deeper, something more profound. Mm, yeah. It's a blessing. It's a spiritual inheritance which is able to overcome in the unseen realm, mm-hmm. yeah. 
where things don't have to be perfect or comfortable right. in order for me to dwell with God. Right. Especially. <laughs> yeah, it's, yes. You go into the ark. You really do. You go into the ark. And you know, okay, so <laughs> me and Carol are in our young 60s now. And the closer I get to the end of my days, the more I realize um, how he's preparing us. We're being prepared, not me and Carol. I don't mean me and Carol, all of us. We're all being prepared for an eternal inheritance that's never going to fade away. But while we pass this way, there's going to be, we have to, meet trial. We have to meet affliction. We have to meet suffering. I don't know why, Mm -hmm. but that's the story. That's the way it's unfolding. And I just, I do, my heart is for women, anybody who's listening, my heart is to lift your vision higher. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm to the point now in my life where a happy marriage is such a shallow ambition. It is such a shallow ambition. There is so much more and you can be happy. I hate the word happy. It just guts it just guts things of the reality. You can be truly blessed and in the favor of God in the midst of the worst of trials. And I just believe that God is wanting to do that for you. If you're open to that, if this all feels like a bunch of nonsense to you, give it time. You'll find out. If you belong to Jesus, you'll find out that you have to go through these trials. You have to go through these things to get to the place where you are prepared. Well, you're going to find out what you're made of. Mm-hmm. I think part of the trial and the suffering is to prove your, it is, it's biblical. The it's testing of your faith. your faith. It's a testing mm-hmm. of our faith. So you're going to see what you're made of when mm-hmm. these trials come. The Lord showed me what I was made of. Did my, did my words, did my lifestyle match my theology? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Now that was, that was me. But again, in the coming into what God had for me in the desperation, in my seeing my great need for Jesus and wanting him and him alone, even though the outward circumstances weren't ideal or perfect or they were crummy, hmm. there was still something rooted deep within my heart, a joy in Jesus, a joy in him, a, a treasure. He is that, that pearl, that treasure, and he's worth going after and seeking if that's what you want. Or you can try and, you know, go after that happy ever after marriage, which I don't necessarily know even exists or, Hmm. yeah, not that God doesn't want it because of course God, yeah, he created marriage. Mm -hmm, He created mm -hmm. the two to be together, Mm -hmm. but it was for holiness, not for happiness. Mm -hmm. It was to display and reflect the glory and the image of God in that marriage. And so- as God, as I was going after him and crying out and seeing what my heart was like and that the fear was all wrapped around self and I started getting out of myself and started praying, like Kathy said, it changed, it changes you and then causes you God. It's not you. It's something, it's a spiritual, uh, I don't know. It's, it is something that only the Holy Spirit can do inside of a person. And that is change that heart of self Mm -hmm. and self-love and self-protection and self-just awareness Mm -hmm. to the desperate need of this man Mm. who is either completely given over in sin or is still, or is in the battle and struggling. Um, but it, it changes you. Mm -hmm. And so 
yeah, you start to see him differently. Hmm. And again, I think that's part of why the Lord allows this in some women's lives. Okay, so I think what I want to do then is I want to wrap up this show and then we'll come back uh, for another show because in this episode, we've really talked about a wife who's dealing with a husband who's doing the right thing. Now there are a whole different set of issues when it comes to a woman whose husband is clearly unrepentant Mm -hmm. and maybe professing to be a Christian, most likely professing to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about some of those things in the next show. Okay. Kathy mentioned a message that I gave during our interview, and I want to use that to wrap up our show. It's something that I recently shared in one of our Sunday services. Job was a man who suffered greatly and who had a lot of things to learn about himself and about God. And I find Job's story to be tremendously valuable to those who are suffering at the hands of another because it speaks to us of the glorious love and the good purposes that God has for us in the midst of those sufferings. I opened up this morning to the same verse that, I can't remember who read it on Thursday night, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And reading that made me think of one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, it's very personal to me. It's in Job 33. I'd like to read, it's actually kind of lengthy. I'll read some and then make some comments. I'll start in verse nine. Most of you probably know the story of Job. Kind of starts off with like almost a game in heaven, (laughs) if you could say it that way. God and Satan. God says, look at my servant, he's amazing. And Satan says, well, just test him and you're gonna find out what's really in him. And so God gives Satan nearly free reign. The only thing that Satan can't do to Job is literally kill him. And for like 30 chapters or so, Job defends his innocence, essentially. And his biggest thing is, I didn't deserve this, and if God would just give me an audience with him, I would show him that I'm right. And why won't he just let me Why won't he just come down and let me tell him that I'm right? And then his three friends basically say, it's impossible that you're right. God would never treat a righteous person like this. So there must be something wrong. You're either totally lying to yourself or you're totally lying to us or you're just completely deceived, I think. And Job says, no, there's no way. I'm, I've never done anything wrong, essentially. I've done everything right. So then uh, the last one to speak, his name's Elihu. He's a young man, and he takes Job to task. And he's, he's angry with Job because Job justified himself rather than God, and he's angry with his three friends because his three friends could not prove what Job's real issue was. And so then he says this, and again, I'm just going to read through a number of verses. It's very, very beautiful. It has to do with God searching us. 
which you've heard a number of people pray about. In verse 9, I read from the ESV. This is Elihu, and he says, You say, meaning Job, you say I'm pure without transgression. I'm clean, and there's no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasion against me, meaning God. Behold, God finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. Does he, Job? Does he count you as his enemy? Verse 12, Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against God, saying, He will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way, and in two, though man does not perceive it. So up to this point, God, Job has been saying, Why won't God just come down? And why won't he communicate? Why is he silent? And Elihu is saying, he's not silent, Job. He's speaking, but you're not hearing. God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Okay, so what Elihu is saying here is, what God is trying to do is he's trying to remove from you your pride. And at the same time, while he does this, He's keeping you from dying. He's trying to save your soul because he has to remove from you, from your heart, the thing that ultimately will kill you. And he will go to great lengths to do it and he will keep you. Once you die, it's over. That's the end of the story. So he has to, he's got to almost, you know, like David said, you've, you have chastened me severely but you have not given me over to death so he's got to do he's got to go to great lengths with some people to conceal pride from them the thing that would kill their soul without killing their body verse 19 man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were not seen stick out. His life draws near the pit and his life to those who bring death. And what Elihu is basically going to do here is he's going to show you, Job, God is not treating you as an enemy. He's loving you. Everything that you're interpreting as some kind of unjust punishment is not that at all. You are not hearing what God is saying. You're missing the point. Verse 23, If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand, 
to declare to man what is right for him, and he is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy and he restores to man his righteousness. Okay, now don't get caught up. There's a lot of stuff that's like, what does that even mean? Here's the point. What is God's purpose? He's trying to save him. He wants to save him. That's the end game. In all of this, everything that you're going through, I promise you, God's end game is to save you. He's not treating you as an enemy. Many of us, when we came to pure, we were the enemies. And he was treating us not as our sins deserve, but in kindness and in mercy and in love. And sometimes that means a good thrashing. Why? To conceal our pride from us, to bring it out into the open, to expose it to us so that we see it for what it is and turn away from it. And God knows what he's doing. I love this. Isn't this amazing? Because what we so easily see in our sin is we see the anger of God. And it is his anger, but it's a, it's a pure anger. It's not like man. Man's anger is almost always to destroy. God's anger is to bring life. And then listen to this. I love this. This is just so illogical, and that's good for me because I want to be logical, but I need God's logic, not man's logic. Then it says, he sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what is right, and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. What a song that is. Has anybody ever sung that song? I'm horrible. I sin and I pervert what is right. But God does not repay me. He redeems my soul. That's a good song. We don't like that song. We want the song of I'm good and God's good and we're buddies and this is great and it's all going to turn out nice. That's the song we like. The song that God loves is for us to sing, I am nothing, I am worthless, I am worse than nothing, and God is amazing. He is full of loving kindness and compassion and tender mercies. That's the song that God loves. Verse 29, behold, God does all these things twice, three times with a man. Why? To bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be lighted with the light of life. Pay attention, Job. Listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. If you have any words, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. I desire to justify you. That is the word of God. He shows us what's wrong with us because he desires to justify us. That's his motive. That, we don't know things like that. That makes no sense. Oftentimes the exposure of the worst parts of us seems like I desire to condemn you, and it's not true.
he desires to justify us. You know, that at times takes, yeah, it just takes real faith. When God shows us the worst about us, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? Do we shrink back? Do we run away from the light? Or do we draw closer because he is love? In loving kindness, he afflicts us. That's Back in Psalm 119, this is my comfort and my affliction. Your promise gives me life. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So this morning, let's just go to him in humility. <laughs> we don't have to drag ourselves like a cowering dog into God's presence. We just come humble because we are who we are and he is full of loving kindness. Amen. For the wife who's suffering through the aftermath of her husband's unfaithfulness, hopelessness, fear, despair can be so overwhelming. And as we close, let me say this. I've never had the experience of being betrayed in the way that many wives have, and I don't want to pretend that I can understand everything that you might be going through. But I have gone through periods of intense fear, hopelessness, and despair. I've looked out into the future and seen in my mind's eye a life full of darkness, pain, and suffering. And I know what it feels like to look out and think, I don't know if I have what it takes to go through this. What I've learned through these times is that God is my faithful Father. He knows what I need to be eternally happy and he graciously gives it to me. Sometimes what I need is suffering. But he never just piles it on top of me. He also comes to me, supporting me, sustaining me, comforting me. The process that we have to go through to receive the gifts that our eternally wise Father wants to give us, it takes work, faith, and patience. But as we humbly look to Jesus, he is refining us and forming us into his image. And we can be confident that if he began a good work in us, he will bring it to completion at the day of his appearing. He's greater than the biggest problems we face, and he's working. He's always working, even if we don't see it. So please, rest in your Savior's loving embrace today and cast your cares upon him because he does care for you. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more 
at purelifeministries.org. 